we're going to conclude our message series this morning that has been entitled Seven Big Questions from God's Heart to Yours. Seven Big Questions from God's Heart to Yours. And the question this morning, fittingly with Thanksgiving coming up, this will be no surprise to you, are you thankful? The question is, are you thankful? Now, the Bible says that we are to be thankful in all circumstances, but I'm sure you know, as well as I do from personal experience, our level of thankfulness, our level of gratitude, often has to do with a matter of circumstances and also perspective. Um, Even living in North America, I think we have a lot of comforts here that we're just accustomed to. We take them, we take them for granted. it's just, it's just the reality of, of, of the way things are. I've done a lot of traveling, especially in the last uh, decade, on an airplane, just kind of zipping around the country. And every time I've traveled on an airplane, I've had a nice comfy seat in the economy section, otherwise known as coach back in the day. And I've walked past first class, which I think is now called business class. I've walked past... And usually I'm observing somebody in first class who's not quite as thankful as I think they should be if they're sitting in first class. I've seen somebody complain about a a drink that wasn't mixed properly. Of course, this was like a $15, $20 drink, but it was not mixed to their satisfaction. I've seen somebody complain about a blanket, the size of the blanket, the warmth of the blanket. Even a newspaper was kind of crumpled up. It wasn't a fresh, crisp newspaper. Now, I'm sure people complain in economy as well. I've witnessed that, but I just think if you're in the, you know, in the best section, you should be grateful, right? Uh, that's North America. We have a lot of comforts. A number of years ago, a few years ago, my wife Jen and I, along with her, uh, her family, we took a trip. Whoa, there we are. We took a trip to West Africa. And when I say a few years ago, I mean 10 years ago. And as I look at that, I wonder what kind of New Year's resolutions would I have to make to look like that again? But um, we had a great trip. We went to a couple different countries, one of which was Burkina Faso, and we got to visit uh, Phil and Carol Bergen and their family, Mennonite brother and missionaries there. And um, part of our travels, we got to go on a bus. Next picture is the bus that we took. So we were traveling from the capital city, Ouagadougou, to another city, Bobo. I can't remember exactly. I think it was like three to five hours away. And so we walk up to this bus and I immediately I felt kind of a sense of relief. Like, this actually looks like a bus. It's going to be okay. It, looks like a, it doesn't look like a very nice bus, but it looks like a bus. So we got on this bus, and we got our seats, and we got going, and the bus driver had a lead foot. So I started getting a little bit nervous because he was tailgating the vehicle in front of us. And then I got really ner- nervous when he veered off. We're on a highway he veered off the highway into the wilderness of West Africa, off the road, bump, 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 all over these bumps, weaving around trees, livestock, whatever's there, he's off the road, and I'm really nervous. But I look around, and everybody's calm. The locals and the missionaries tell us, this is just par for the course, this is what they do, they're impatient, they could pass on the left sometimes, but most of the time it's easier just to go off the highway and then come back on it. So... Put it this way, I was really thankful when we made it there alive. Even on part of the journey, one of those windows popped out and I had to hold it in place because my sister-in-law was sleeping. So I was like this, so she could keep sleeping. And uh, we made it, but I was thankful. It's a matter of perspective and circumstances a lot of times. 
So sometimes when we have these luxurious conditions, we take them for granted. Well, today I want you to think about this question. Are you thankful? We're heading into Thanksgiving week. Let's also head over to the Gospel of Luke and look at what happened when Jesus entered a village on the way to Jerusalem. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 11 through 19. If you have a red church Bible, that, I believe that's page 870. So Luke 17, 11 through 19. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. This is an incredible account of great need and great thankfulness being expressed. Here we have ten isolated and hurting men who are in the throes of one of the worst diseases of their day, leprosy. The realities of leprosy were both physical and emotional, and they were horrendous, to be honest. Leprosy could attack the body in a variety of ways. It was an incurable disease with a slow death. Now, of course, today, uh, leprosy is commonly known as Hansen's disease, and it can be treated with a course and series of antibiotics. But back then, it was a serious illness. Leprosy attacked the body, leaving sores all over the place, missing fingers, missing toes, and maybe worst of all, lasting nerve damage to limbs. In fact, a lot of the damage that you would see with people walking around with damaged limbs is because they couldn't feel anything. No, no feeling, so their, their limbs would be badly damaged. The, 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 excuse me, the disease could take even decades to progress, and entire limbs could simply just fall off. So this is a pretty grotesque disease, and to add insult to injury, people with leprosy typically had this overwhelming smell of rotting and decaying flesh. Can you imagine how that would affect your life? Not just your physical life, but your emotional life to be dealing with something like that. So there are consequences to being a leper. A leper would be removed, completely removed from their family, their community, and because it was thought to be highly contagious, you know, their spouse, their children, their friends, goodbye forever. No coming back from it. Lepers would gather in groups and look for food and beg for help. And always at a distance, yelling for people to help them and also to warn of their presence. This was a horrible existence for anybody to live out daily. Believe it or not, leper colonies still exist today, especially in developing countries where there might not be the same access to medicine or there would be firmly entrenched views about taboos and... Um, just the avoidance of, of, uh, of people with this disease, there are still 
colonies, especially in India. There's hundreds of these informal colonies still. But here is a picture of the last leper colony on U.S. soil. This is in Hawaii in 1905. In 1940, a cure came for leprosy, but in 1905 here, you see men, women, children, and a Catholic priest in the middle who had devoted his life to their care and well-being. But here's a colony of lepers. This colony, believe it or not, in Hawaii, still exists today. There's only six people left there, and they're there voluntarily. Of course, they're not required to be there anymore because of treatments available, but it's all they know, and they've chosen to remain there, likely until they pass away. Um, so it's an interesting thing that these people were forced into seclusion. It couldn't have been a pleasant experience for them. So, as these men have leprosy and they're excluded, given their circumstances, something incredible is about to happen. Let's go back to the text in verse 11 and 12. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. <clears throat> now in the bigger picture, Jesus is on his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, where he's going to lay down his life, he's going to be crucified and die for the sins of humanity. But here as he enters this village, ten men are standing at a distance. They're outcasts, and when anybody came near, they had to yell, Unclean! Unclean! Now, the first five books of the Bible can give us a little bit of context for this from the Mosaic Law as to why they were doing that. Let's look at Numbers. I've got a portion of the verse on the screen for you. But I'm going to read Numbers 5, verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge or who has become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. This command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. Likewise, in Leviticus 13.45 says this, Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, Unclean! Unclean! So these guys are familiar with the Mosaic Law. They're following what they're supposed to do. It was commonly understood that people would even hang like a cloth from their upper lip. You can imagine you've got these sores, things are not going well, and you're secluded, and now you have this piece of fabric hanging from your mouth as you yell, unclean. It's not a pleasant uh, existence. Now, we can also reasonably assume from the context of the whole passage that there's a mix of Jews and Samaritans, likely one Samaritan and the rest Jewish. But they're, interestingly enough, their common illness had brought them together. They wouldn't be in the same community if it wasn't for having leprosy. There was a traditional separation between them. Samaritans were Gentiles. And yet, as all of them are outcasts, they're separated from their common communities, their common ways of worship, and now they're together. So before we look at these ten men with leprosy and what happens next, I want you to think for a second, what would it feel like for you or for I to feel like an outcast in society or culture or in your context, just basically to not fit in? You're an outcast. I think there's a number of ways this could look. Uh, I... I get a lot of joy. A couple days a week, at least, I get to, I get to uh, drop two of my kids off at school. They're in 
elementary school, kindergarten and second grade. And most of the time, they're pretty excited to go to school. They, I think in kindergarten and second grade, it seems like it's a bit of, bit of a party in some respects. I'm sure they're learning lots, but they're having a great time. And they're excited to go, and they're excited to see their friends, and they're excited to see their teacher. But as I'm dropping them off, I've noticed something from, a, from afar. There's often a vehicle. Uh, I usually park and walk with them to the campus, but there's a vehicle off in the distance, and it's parked there. And an older child is having a really hard time with the concept of going to school. And the, the parent or the caregiver is trying to convince them and trying to work through things, and it's just this scene every single time. And my heart goes out to that family and to that child because it's overhearing a little bit of what they're talking about. I can, so this child has extreme anxiety with the concept of going to school that day. I can only imagine that that child feels like they don't belong, like they're a bit of an outcast. Um, Day after day, it's a, it's a tough situation. Also, this morning as I was coming, getting ready to come to church, decided to leave the house a little bit early, save the rest of the household the hassle of me waking up our three-year-old, which means everybody's up and ready to go all of a sudden. So I left early, and I went to McDonald's, and I grabbed a coffee. And as I was about to pull into the drive-thru, I look out of the corner of my eye, and there's, a, there's a, I presume, a young couple. They were at least together. And um, they weren't dressed very warmly, and one of them didn't even have a jacket on, and they were sitting beside a dumpster and a recycling bin in a McDonald's parking lot, just shivering. Like, I could see them going like this, literally shivering. So, I'm, I'm aware, as just as, as the rest of you are, that giving handouts to people who are in a homeless situation sometimes is counterproductive. We've been, you know, taught by Fresno Rescue Mission and others that there's better ways to, to be of assistance and help. But when it's 6 a.m. in the morning and it's cold and you see this and you're a follower of Jesus, your conscience and, 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 and uh, hopefully the Holy Spirit are leading you a little bit. So what I did was I got them some food, I got them some hot drinks, but I thought, you know what, I, here I am, I'm going to be giving a message on 10 people that were excluded from society. What am I going to do with these people that are excluded? So I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to give them some basic human dignity so that they don't feel so excluded. So that's what I did. So I gave them their hot chocolate and whatever, and I talked to them for a little bit, got their names, asked them to share me a little bit of their story, and um, just gave them some basic dignity. I listened, then I tried to encourage them to do A, B, and C in a, in a, in a way to help, but... It was just a reminder that there's an example of people that are outcasts in society. We know God's heart is with them. Um, but sometimes we need to open our eyes a little bit. It's easier at 6 a.m. when it's cold to see things like that. Think about it in this way, too. For some of us, high school or college were kind of the glory years. Maybe you had some athletic prowess or, I don't know, maybe you were popular or something, but you look back with fondness. For others of us, those might have been torturous time periods where we didn't fit in. We didn't have a good set of friends. The school wasn't a good fit. We felt excluded. We know the pain of feeling like we don't fit in or belong. Just to kind of give us an idea on a smaller scale what these ten individuals might have been going through as societal outcasts. Now, I'm sure they would have been very thankful for those rare times 
when people would see them at a distance and stop to help them, or at least acknowledge that they're there. So even in their, in their difficult circumstances, they could be thankful. They could experience thankfulness. That's point number one this morning. We can be thankful even in difficult circumstances. In fact, I think especially as followers of Jesus or people that are considering following Jesus, I think that our difficult circumstances can actually drive us towards crying out for help to God. We can at least be thankful that, hey, no matter how bad things are, we have a Savior who loves us, who longs for us to cry out for help, and who's a relational God. As we've seen in the Bible, leprosy is a horrific disease, but it's also alluded to as a picture of sin. In a sense, before coming to faith in Christ, we were all spiritual lepers. Look at what Jeremiah 7.19 says. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The human heart. We often think, you know, just follow your heart. Disney tells us that. Culture tells us that. Our own experience tells us that. And yet... I think better advice might be follow a heart that's formed, molded, and led by the Holy Spirit and follow God's Word that's clear for us. So these lepers no doubt cried out to help, cried out for help dozens of times, and it's interesting here that they call Jesus Master. Luke 11.13 says, Crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Luke is the only gospel to use this word, master, in addressing Jesus. And in every other instance, it's his disciples that say this. So do we have enough humility to cry out to Jesus for mercy? Or do we all too often try to handle things on our own? I think we definitely cry out to Jesus when we're desperate. But ultimately, if you think about it, every breath that we take is because of God. We should be able to cry out, not just for help, but just with thanksgiving and praise that we've been given another day, that no matter how bad things are, God has given us our very breath. We can cry out to Jesus for any need, big or small, for praise, even to worship Him. God loves for us to put our trust and confidence in Him because He's a relational God who loves to express care for His children. Now, Jesus' response is quite simple, but I think it includes a key principle. Let's look at Luke 17, verse 14. He looked at them and said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So rather than reaching out and healing them in a personal way like he did in Luke chapter 5, Jesus simply instructs them to go present themselves before their priests. Now get this, they were not yet healed. They weren't yet healed. Jesus instructs them to go present themselves. Now if they thought about it some more, they likely could have reasoned that Jesus was going to heal them. They, they knew the context of the Mosaic Law. They're thinking, okay, he's instructed us to go do this. The only reason we would do that is if we're healed, so he's going to heal us. Maybe they could have reasoned that. But I think they could have, just as easily they could have thought, Hey, we heard about this time where he just stretched out his hand and healed a leper. He didn't do that with us. I guess we're not getting healed. I'm heading back to the colony. They could have just as easily been thinking that. But instead, they took that step 
of obedience. They took that step of obedience, that small step that led to great results. How many of us today have sensed that God has put a dream or a calling or even a specific task on our hearts? But we just haven't been able to take that first step of obedience. It's like sometimes we can see where we want to be. We can see that mountaintop. We just can't see the journey. Or we don't have the willingness to engage with the journey. We just keep looking at the top. Jesus is asking us, just take that next step of obedience. The lepers had to start their journey towards the priests before they were healed. Here's my phone. I have an iPhone. I love my iPhone. I don't know if it's better than other kinds of phones, but I like iPhones because I think they're really easy to use. Uh, So I have an iPhone. The cool thing about this is just this week, I was able to communicate with uh, friends and family in the Congo, in Cairo, Egypt, and in Canada numerous times and in multiple ways. Text messages, emails, pictures, videos, you name it, multiple times, all over the world, people that I care about. It was fantastic. But here's the thing, that my phone conditions me to want things and expect things right now, right? It's great. It's super convenient. I love it. Life is, in my opinion, life is way better with this than it was with when I had, when I was in high school and I thought I was so cool because I had a pager on my belt. Now, I was a courier driver for a while, so I needed a pager, but I thought it was really, this is much better. But it makes me expect things right now. And Jesus doesn't always work with our desire for things right now. I think many times he's just asking us to take that next step of obedience. I love the second part of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. So they encountered Jesus and they took a step of faith. Point number two, experiencing Jesus activates faith and thankfulness. So they encounter Jesus, they respond in obedience, but only one of them expresses this personal gratitude to Jesus. Verses 15 and 16. One of them, when they saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those lepers and realize that you were healed as you went, as you took that next step? Maybe they're all walking together towards wherever the priests are. One of them looks down and realizes, I've been healed, or can kind of see it progressively happening. First one, then another one, then another one. All of a sudden, they're all healed. That would be incredible. But only one came back with gratitude. And guess what? He was the Samaritan. It's implied that the other nine were Israelites. Now again, Samaritans were despised by Jews because they were a product of foreigners marrying Jews. And that meant that things were getting syncretized. Their culture, their religion. So what you ended up with was a mix of Judaism and idolatry. And the Jews did not like that. That's why they despised these people so much. But Jesus is pushing some cultural tension buttons here. A Samaritan is the one who returns to give thanks. 
We shouldn't be that surprised. We know from the biblical narrative that uh, repeatedly Samaritans are used to expose the hypocrisy of religious leaders in Israel. So this Samaritan expresses humility. He returns to Jesus shouting, shouting, praise God. Think about this too. Leprosy probably was into his vocal cords. He probably had no voice or a super raspy voice. So when they're, when they're yelling out, it's just this terrible sound. Can you imagine how great it must have felt to be able to, to cry out, praise God, and you realize your voice is healed? And you can say that clearly with excitement and passion. He was thankful and he was, in, and he was exuberant. I love that. He's worshiping God. He's thankful and he's exuberant. Try this. Try meditating on the gospel every day in some way and see if you don't become a more joyful person who praises God and loves to worship. You can't do it. If you're meditating on the gospel, you can't be a person who doesn't like to praise. I think a lot of times we come towards worship, whether it's alone or corporately, and it's based on my preferences or the setting or this or that or the other. But if you're meditating on the gospel... It's going to get in you. It's going to be, become part of who you are and how you think about things. So the gospel is important, that instant that we accept it and believe in Jesus and become a Christian. It continues to be important. We need the gospel every day so that we can have the right perspective on our faith as we follow Christ. So Jesus was pleased by this man's Thanksgiving and grieved that the other nine had not done the same. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So ten received healing and their leprosy was gone, but not all experienced a heart change. Could it be that Jesus is still asking me and still asking you? He's asking us, where are the other nine? Nine. Would we be the one that returned to give thanks, or would we be among the nine that did not return? I think far more people are blessed by the Lord in some way than than have returned to give thanks. We can always be thankful for something. Have you ever thought about why they did not return to give thanks, these other nine? I imagine they must have been so excited. I mean, they were focused on their good fortune They probably didn't really think about anything else other than, I don't have leprosy anymore. But that said, I think we're focused on ourselves a little bit too much too sometimes, and overcoming self-centeredness is a never-ending battle that we have to keep battling against as Jesus followers. And again, Jesus mentions the foreigner. Has no one returned to give God the glory except this foreigner? You see, God's heart is for the marginalized, those on the fringes. We see that again and again in Scripture. And often we see that those who are marginalized or excluded in some way have softer hearts towards the gospel, while others who are in comfort sometimes don't. So we want to have hearts like Jesus. We want to look for the people on the fringes, for the marginalized, for those that are excluded, and offer the love of Christ. So the other nine hadn't fully experienced who Jesus was. Because truly experiencing and encountering Jesus results in true heart change. That's the final point this morning. It results in true heart change. We know that the man who returned to thank Jesus encountered Jesus in a real way, not just because he was thankful, but because it took faith and action to actually do that. 
to come back to Jesus. Look at verse 19. Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. He took a step of faith. He took the action of coming back. I should note that this term in this verse, healed, literally means saved. So I think what you, what you have here is people that have been physically healed and are thankful and are going on their way, but the guy who's truly thankful comes back to Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He falls down in front of him. He has real transforming faith. He has heart changed. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. I think it's quite possible this man experienced eternal salvation that day as well as his physical healing. So as we look at Thanksgiving week, it's a great week. We're excited. We get a break. We get to celebrate that we're thankful. But we want to live lives of thanksgiving. Let's cry out to Jesus this week. Whether you have a big need, a small need, or you simply want to cry out to praise him, to thank him. Let's cry out to Jesus. Let's live out the reality of hearts that have been changed and that we have a salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us and we can live that out every day. That we can include those on the margins. As you're thinking about your Thanksgiving gathering this week, who can you invite? Maybe there's somebody in your sphere of influence, in this congregation, in your community. You know they don't have anywhere to go. You can include them. You can bring them in. Maybe in your neighborhood... Let's say you know seven or eight houses or apartments all beside where you live, but you know that there's that one family or that one house. It's like everybody gets along except, well, there's that guy over there. Invite that guy to your house for Thanksgiving. That person's on the margins. Include them. See what happens. Uh, some of us might be gathering with family and we're excited about that. Others, others of us... Maybe you're not excited about that because that thing happened seven years ago with that family member and now it's a reminder again. So maybe this Thanksgiving you can extend the olive branch and you can be the first person to initiate the forgiveness process in Thanksgiving and your family will be that much happier for it. So there's many ways that we can express our Thanksgiving this week. But most importantly, you might be here and you're thinking, I want to be like that guy who came to Jesus and God is not only was he physically healed, he was spiritually healed. And if you're interested in what it looks like to follow Christ in a personal way, to follow Jesus now and forever, to experience that now and forever, to be saved, I'd love to chat with you after the service or anybody that you came with or the prayer team. We'd love to meet with you if you're interested about following Jesus. Let's pray as we close this morning. Great God, we thank you for your, your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy towards us. Thank you that you're relational, Father, that you long to spend time with us, that you made a way for us through Jesus Christ, your Son. God, you're a healer. It's in your, na- it's in your nature. You long to reconcile us in our broken relationships, in our broken relationship with you. And you long to give us a future with a hope. I pray this Thanksgiving week, each and every person here is empowered with praise and thanksgiving and thankfulness, Lord, that we can live out the lives that you've called us to. We believe that you're always working around us. You're always working. You're always drawing people to yourself. 
and we get to partner with you in that. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.